welcome to 4 for Q4, a podcast series where we take a closer look at four key themes we think will be crucial for markets for the rest of the year. I'm Imogen Bakro, European Rate Strategist, and in this episode, I'm joined by John Briggs, Global Head of Desk Strategy, Kevin Cummins, our Chief US Economist, Brian Dangerfield, our Co-Head of G10FX Strategy, and Alvaro Vivanco, our Global Head of EM Strategy. We'll be taking a closer look at the path of US monetary policy given the economic outlook and its impact on global markets. So Kevin, given we're recording this literally hot off the press of um, the August NFPs number, I think it probably makes sense to start with you. Um, How do you think this number, which um, just for context, the listeners came at quite a lot below consensus, um, how does that impact the the Fed's thinking? And especially, I guess, in the baseline, in the context of our uh, baseline view of, of a taper? Yeah, well, I think the data will reinforce most leadership uh, Fed officials that progress just yet hasn't been substantial enough on the labor market for them to come out with a plan, an eminent plan for tapering just yet. Um, You know, I I don't think a one month gain of 235,000 jobs at at the same time is enough for them to back away from the signal that they've given that they're likely to do it this year, assuming things continue to progress. I mean, you know, while the headline was below 235, you know, pre-COVID standards was still pretty strong. And we saw a drop in the unemployment rate, average hourly earnings were up. So it's not all necessarily bad news. It's just relative to expectations. Um, The other thing is it followed, you know, job growth of over a million jobs in July. So, you know, in the broader context of things, I think it probably makes sense to, to think that, you know, even if you look at like the latest three-month average, job growth is 750,000. If you look at private payrolls, it's up over 600,000. So, you know, that's still very, very strong growth, even with the miss. Um, you know, and it, and it does suggest uh, there's been a shift once the economy really reopened. If you look at job growth in the first five months of the year, you average below 500,000, and now you're all the way up to 750,000. So it is consistent with the idea I think Powell mentioned last week that there's been clear progress toward maximum employment. It's just it probably hasn't been substantial enough. Um, on the flip side, you know, at a minimum, it does remove any consideration for any action uh, in September uh, at the FOMC meeting. Um, and, and at the margin, it probably does increase the probability of some action in December rather than at the November meeting. Um, but it does add to the overall level of uncertainty here. Recent data have suggested some slowing. If you look at consumer confidence, that's fallen off in July, in, sorry, in August. Uh, auto sales the other day did take a bigger than expected tumble, you know, falling back to March or May of 2020 levels. We marked down our Q3 GDP number yesterday, only 3.8%. Obviously, that's well above trend growth and very strong pre-COVID standards. But you know, our, our preliminary estimate that we were thinking was about 7.5% in the back half of this year. And that probably looks like it's probably a bit exaggerated. So now we have you know, growth closer to say 4% in the back half of the year. So, you know, I, I think it's consistent with that idea. And, and the labor supply has very much. Uh, been an issue here. And I think it's likely to persist in coming months. We have job growth averaging about 400,000 in the remaining months of this year. So I think that we are seeing a little bit of a step down uh, as you know, Delta variant has started to spread. So 
I think the Fed for now is probably going to be very patient, but I don't think it changes its overall picture too much. So I guess that's the kind of QE tapering at the employment side. But what about rate hikes, particularly in light of our inflation outlook? Yeah, well, inflation obviously has picked up pretty noticeably with both the core PCE and core CPI, you know, at multi-decade highs through July. Um, and, you know, we saw a bit of moderation in July uh, numbers by themselves, and that definitely fits with the Fed's view that it's likely transitory. Powell last week at Jackson Hole kind of laid out a very dovish view on inflation, made a lot of points that why it's likely to come down. Um, obviously, like any good central banker, he's going to say that if it doesn't, that they have the tools necessary to react to that. But I think, you know, their base case is that it comes down all the way to almost 2% by the end of next year. Um, you know, we, we don't think it's going to slow quite to that extent. We have it ending next year closer to about two and a half percent. So, um, you know, we're not as uh, optimistic that we're going to see that sort of slowing. We have the rent and shelter components remaining, starting to accelerate next year that it prevents it from really moderating like the Fed thinks. Um, so I'd say the the risk is that there's uh, on inflation, it's certainly to the upside. Um, but, you know, there, there's a lot of uncertainty there. Um, with, the gar with regard to the Fed's new uh, flexible average inflation framework. Uh, it wasn't designed necessarily to deal with potentially higher inflation. Um, and I think it's going to likely keep them on the sideline that even if the Fed does taper and, and get that over with you know, earlier than expected, or we'll, we'll see the timing on that, I think Powell was very clear that tapering doesn't uh, equal tightening. And I don't think liftoff is likely to happen until 2023. Okay, that makes sense. Thanks, Kevin. So switching gears then and, and putting, I guess, the economics to one side for a minute and switching over to the market side. John, I'll start with you on the rates side. You know, our, one of our key calls in the US has been in flatness for a long time. I think you entered them in, in around May. Um, you've been looking for a cheaper belly or cheaper five-year point, both outright and on the curve. Can you, I guess, just give us the rationale behind that and perhaps um, explain how you see that view evolving, if at all, over the next few months? Yeah, and I would say that that last bit that you asked Kevin about, which is the inflation outlook, was a major component of it. In that, you know, we've entered that part of the cycle in our view in May, where you know the market is going to start looking towards future rate hikes, not imminent ones, but future ones, which will end up, you know, having the have it go from that bear steepener, which is rising inflation expectations, and a thought that you've got the Fed that is relatively dovish and higher growth expectations shifting to, and again, back in May is when Clarida signaled and culminated in the June meeting that the Fed had a more balanced inflation outlook. So, you know, signaled that, yeah, we, it's not just about unemployment, but it is about inflation. Now, we still think that a cheaper belly and flatter curve is the way to go. I have to admit, you know, I mean, obviously a, a, a 1 million number would have been better than a 235,000 number just for the near term. But the real underlying basis for the view into the end of the year is that with our inflation forecast of three plus core inflation between now and then end of the year and a, a couple months beyond. And I can kind of do lean with Kevin that the Fed might not actually raise rates till 23, but given that backdrop, 
as long as what we saw in this employment number was not a deceleration in trend, but you know more of an averaging out or a bump in the road or you know maybe some unique um, circumstances with seasonals. I mean, we'll see what the, the October number comes, which is or a September number reported in October, which should be very important. But as long as you have that you know, job growth continuing to progress, and if you have really, really strong inflation, well past a transitory time period and likely going past um, what we see as supply chain issues, I think the market's going to struggle with that. And the market's going to need to price in the probability that rate hikes do come into late 22 and more than what's currently priced and that the path starts earlier than perhaps you know many of us are expecting. Do I think the Fed's going to raise rates in the end of 22, early 23? I have no idea. I mean, a lot of these issues, supply chain constraints, labor market constraints, reopening a massive economy, these are these short-term issues, these long-term issues, our wage increase is going to continue, you know, year over year over year, as opposed to just a one-time burst. I mean, there is productivity shifting. There's so many larger questions that I think are really hard to determine right now. So I'm just focusing on the next few months. And again, this is good for a you know question for Q4, as we've titled these, because I think between now and year end, even if taper gets delayed till December, or, you know, we, maybe the good number is good and they announce it in November, that's kind of noise. I think the inflation side of the things and what the market needs to handicap what that means for future rate hikes is being underestimated. So yes, no joy on this past number, but we do think that as the, as the next few months continue, that you are going to see a little bit more of that probability priced in for future hikes based on the inflation prints. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Thank you, John. So over to you then, Brian, on the FX side. What's your outlook for the dollar between here and the end of the year? Great. Well, thank you for having me. So just for context, uh, coming into 2021, we had a broadly negative dollar outlook. And over the summer, as the taper conversation really began to strengthen, we shifted to a more balanced outlook. And I think Delta variant has really pushed us further in that direction of being more balanced, more defensive on the dollar. So certainly the non-farm payroll this month seems to have taken September off the table. Um, and even though it was a weak number, the dollar reaction was, was fairly mixed. Um, you know, the dollar really didn't have uh, much sustained weakness, at least in the initial, uh, after the initial print. And I think that really speaks to, you know, there being a number of uh, positive um, event risk for the dollar still upcoming over the end of the year. You know, as Kevin mentioned, this number is not a complete game changer for the Fed. It's unlikely to really push the timeline for taper out a significant ways, even if it means September is probably not going to be when the announcement is, which has been our base case. So you still have this hawkish event risk overhanging the market. You have a risk that inflation is going to stay high. Belly of the curve could come under pressure. That's obviously something that could be a positive for the dollar if it manifests. Um, and you also have Delta variant. One of the big differences between the first half of the year and where we are currently as regards the dollar is in the beginning of the year, expectations for synchronized global growth fueled by vaccinations um, were really pushing a, a different growth narrative, a much more positive, a much more synchronized growth narrative, one that we think was much more negative for the dollar. Now we have Delta variant, which is creating differentiated growth responses, is creating differentiated central bank outlooks. Um, and as a result, the outlook is more choppy, it's less clear, and that type of environment is one that's less negative for the dollar. And so uh, 
we have a balanced outlook. We can we continue to have a balanced outlook on the dollar. We're not expecting this to be a, a big strengthening of the dollar into year end. It's worth noting that dollar seasonals, which tend to be very positive in August, are more neutral into the end of the year and they're quite negative in December. So that's something to keep an eye on as we approach the end of the year. Um, but we don't have the synchronized global growth backdrop that would argue for widespread dollar weakness, even though the recent data we've gotten have certainly showed some signs of moderation and the payroll number uh, left a lot to be desired. Brian, so that's the G10 side of the coin, but Alvaro, what about the EM side of the coin? Um, I guess just to give some context to our listeners or watchers even, <laughs> I forgot this is the webinar, that you were pretty <laughs> bullish on EM in general for, I guess much of the first half of the year but you turned more cautious in mid-June which actually was perfectly timed for the risk aversion so how are you feeling now about EM? Yeah I think uh, there's a couple of uh, important trends happening right the first one is that we are noticing uh, less sensitivity of emerging markets to the exact timing of taper right which I think is good right it's a healthy thing investors are moving from the very short-term moves into taking more of at least, you know, the medium-term perspective, giving themselves a little bit more time. And when you look from that perspective, right, the fact is that there's plenty of liquidity in the world. Dollar strength has already, you know, played out over the last couple of months. EM in some areas is doing extremely well in terms of the rebound. There's also large divergences, which is something that we have been focusing on and something that, that I would like to point out in a minute. So I think that you know, there's a few reasons to be a bit more constructive about EM. And we have reflected those in our uh, recommendations. So for instance, we've taken profit in our long dollar Malaysia trade. And also we have added long Brazil and Colombia uh, peso recommendations as a relative value against South Africa over the last couple of weeks. So, you know, we're definitely not long dollars. I think that that's a very difficult, challenging proposition uh, over the next couple of months. But going back to kind of this idea of differentiation, because something that I think the market is missing is how much divergence there has been in EM uh, across a couple of variables. The first one is just um, vaccination rates and the impact of the Delta variant. So just to give you an idea, there, have, there are countries like Taiwan and India that has still you know, vaccination in the 40s compared to Chile, Hungary, Malaysia, that is you know, actually you know, the vast majority of the populations. And I think that that is starting to matter more because central banks are facing to some extent the political pressures, right? Of hiking or not hiking when um, you know, cases are increasing. So, that's another of the variables that uh, it's becoming more distinguishable between central banks. You have cases like Russia, Brazil, that is expected to continue to hike aggressively. This should lead to very positive, for the first time in a while, right? Very positive real policy rates. On the other hand, you had uh, Poland and Hungary that is still very depressed and very little expectations that they will normalize. So we think that, you know, carry to volatility will start to matter more. And there are certain countries like, again, Brazil and Russia that are standing out. Uh, there's also just the levels, right? Uh, since COVID, the, the performance of effects has been very differentiated across regions and, and, and currencies. I think that in general, Asia should start to underperform, which is just given what I said before, but also the fact that you know it was one of the first ones to catch up. And the last one is, is the trade balances, right? 
um, that uh, you know Asia at the beginning of the COVID started doing really well. Since then, it, ha it has normalized. There are a few countries that are still have significantly better, and you know, in the Delta, is still improving current account balances and trade balances. So, if you put all this together, we put a, a piece out earlier this week that kind of brings it all together. And and the idea is that you know things like Brazil, Colombia, China score very high across these, these ratings. On the opposite extreme, you have India, Philippines, Thailand, Thailand, which I think that they will continue to struggle. So, you know, for the, effects, for, uh, for the next few months, more positive on EM, but also kind of really highlighting these differences and, you know, doing some straight relative value trades, but also just picking uh, the places to be long against the dollar. Lots to talk about EM then. <laughs> thank you, Alvaro. So, and thank you all for joining me. Um, I hope that you all enjoyed this episode of 4 for Q4. And just a reminder to our listeners to make sure that you check out the NatWest Corporates and Institutions YouTube channel for other episodes in this series. And remember to hit subscribe so you can listen to the latest episodes of 4 for Q4 and other podcasts from NatWest Markets as soon as they're available. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.